Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Anand Swami Nathan. And I'm Jenny Beck Esme. So, Jenny, what's been going on? You know, actually, I know exactly what's been going on. We've had a lot of changes around the shop. We have. It's been an exciting time. Yeah, so we welcomed the new program director a couple of weeks ago. He's been with us about six weeks now. So, uh, you know, we're actually going to talk about a lecture that he gave. So might as well make it official. Jeremy Branzetti has joined our program. He's our new program director. He came out to us from Seattle. And so uh, this is a little bit of a shout out to Jeremy. Uh, yeah, welcome, welcome. Welcome, Jeremy. Yeah, it's been Glad- nice to have him over. Yeah, glad to have you on the team. So this is a talk that he gave that we're going to discuss today. So what did he cover? So Jeremy gave us this great lecture today on dialysis emergencies. I figured it'd be a good topic because we really haven't touched on that much on the podcast. You know, we have discussed one of the most common complications of dialysis, and that is the ED presentation of hyperkalemia. These are patients who often have missed dialysis sessions or they got incompletely dialyzed. And we'll drop a link to the podcast where we discuss this as well as the blog post on this topic. I think one of the basic things that we have to remember when we're talking about dialysis, when we're talking about hyperkalemia, is that if an end-stage renal disease patient shows up in your ED, just go ahead and get an EKG. I don't care if they're there for an ankle sprain. I'm probably going to go ahead and get an EKG. But this is not what Jeremy talked about today. He didn't talk about the electrolyte emergencies. He covered some of the less common, but still shows up in our EDs quite a bit. So let's dive in. So what exactly did Jeremy talk about? So the first thing he wanted to make clear was that we need to respect end-stage renal disease and respect dialysis. These patients have a huge five-year mortality. They are really sick to start. So although it's always our motto, make sure with these patients you assume the worst, consider the patient is sick at baseline, and work from there. When you start talking to these patients, some of the things you may want to ask about are missed dialysis sessions or sessions that were stopped early because there were some kind of issues. This may steer you towards certain diagnosis like the electrolyte abnormalities or fluid overload, things like that. Now, how about the exam? Jeremy mentioned this, and I can't tell you how many times I've seen it, that the end-stage renal disease patients don't have proper assessments of their dialysis access. This is a critical part of our examination. If it's a dialysis fistula, you want to make sure that it has a thrill, make sure it isn't warm or indurated, and you want to make sure to check distally to make sure they have good sensation and good pulses. Yeah, exactly. And then another thing we often see with these fistulas when you're doing that exam are the pseudoaneurysms. Basically, all that repeat poking of the fistula creates weakness in the vessels and pseudoaneurysms. Those are those big bumps you kind of see all over the fistula. If they're asymptomatic, there's not much to do, but the dialysis team and the vascular docs are going to need to keep a close eye on them. On the other hand, if they're painful or if they have some surrounding erythema or skin breakdown, you're going to want to get your vascular team to see that patient. If these rupture, that patient's going to be in a bad way fast. And many of our patients don't have fistulas yet. They come in with temporary dialysis catheters while they're waiting for the fistulas to mature or to have the fistula placed in the first place. These always need to be checked for signs of superficial infection, looking for warmth, erythema, or even discharge from around the area. If they've got erythema or warmth at that site, you want to get blood cultures, including blood cultures off of the line. If anything is coming out from around the catheter itself, you want to culture that, and then you're going to give them IV antibiotics and you're going to admit them. But you're probably not going to pull that catheter out in the emergency department. That's something you want to defer to the vascular team. 
So now what about bleeding from the fistula? This can be pretty scary. I remember a med student case I saw once where the patient had like been standing outside the hospital having a cigarette or something when his fistula started bleeding and he was wheeled in by some bystander who found him and there was just this trail of massive amounts of blood from outside the hospital all the way in through to the recess room. It was just crazy. It was a case I'm really never going to forget. This can be a kind of a common and scary presentation that area is under a lot of high pressure so they can bleed pretty aggressively. The first step here is to control the bleeding and the best way to do that is with direct pressure. It's pretty simple. A single finger right over the bleeding area and hold pressure. I was always taught that a single finger can stop all bleeding but another option is to use two fingers one proximal to the bleeding and one distal to the bleeding. You'll have the two fingers close together but there's going to be just a little bit of a gap between them. Now, if that doesn't work, you can try using some topical thrombotic agents, but those often fail as well. Remember, the area needs to be pretty dry in order for those topical agents to work. Your next option, if that doesn't work, is to throw a stitch through the bleeding area. And this isn't as simple as it sounds. It's not just, you know, randomly throw a stitch. But Al Sacchetti has an excellent video on doing this, and we'll drop a link to that in the show notes as well. The two keys that Al stresses in that video are to use a 5-0 proline on a non-cutting needle and to use a a figure eight stitch right over the bleeding area to stem the bleeding. Let's switch back now a a bit to talk about getting access. Swami, can you use the fistula for access if the patient comes in crashing? You can, but it's definitely just, it's frowned upon, Jenny. It is frowned upon to stick an IV into these things. But I've done it in the past when you have a really crashing patient. Remember, these patients are not going to have the best peripheral access. So if you've got a crashing patient in front of you, you can do it. What you want to do is take a relatively large gauge IV, you know, you're talking 18 or 16 gauge, maybe even bigger, and you want to find the direction the blood is flowing through that fistula and put the IV in that direction. Now, honestly, it doesn't come up much anymore because we've got the IO drill. Back in the day when we didn't have those and you needed to get access, we were using the fistula on occasion in that crashing patient, but now when they have poor peripheral access, it's just IO and go. Let's talk a little bit about peritoneal dialysis, a little bit of a different patient population. Yeah, peritoneal dialysis patients have an access port into their abdomen, and they basically do their dialysis at home. They infuse diacylate into their belly, and then they remove it. The most common thing we're going to see with these patients are infections, basically bacterial peritonitis. Staph and strep are the most common bugs that we're going to be worried about here. The diagnosis here is actually pretty easy. You get a little fluid out of their belly and you send it for cell count and culture. It's not even like a paracentesis because they have an access port. You're just going to draw fluid out of that. A neutrophil count more than 250 cells is concerning for bacterial peritonitis. But honestly, you can just look at the fluid. If it's anything except 100% clear, there's an issue. In the well-appearing patient, treatment can either be with oral or IV antibiotics, but it's something you want to discuss with the patient's nephrologist or dialysis team before you make that decision. Obviously, you're going to go IV antibiotics if the patient is sick. Now, finally, Jeremy touched on dialysis disequilibrium syndrome. Basically, this is where the patient comes from dialysis with altered mental status, focal neurologic deficits, or even frank coma or seizures. This syndrome results from the rapid shift of extracellular solute out of the brain during dialysis. It tends to occur in patients who are new to hemodialysis or who have patients with kind of poor intermittent compliance. 
Now, of course, if a patient presents from dialysis with these symptoms, you're going to consider all of those bad things first, right? All the bad causes of altered mental status, head bleeds, stroke, metabolic issues, infection. I mean, there's so many different things that can happen with these patients. And these are extremely common, especially in this subgroup. But if you consider all of these and you don't find one of them, then this dialysis disequilibrium syndrome has to be on the list of possibilities. Now, the nice thing is all you have to do to fix it is give the patient a solute load and all of a sudden their mental status clears up. It's actually pretty rapid clearing. Typically, we do this with an amp or two of D50 and you'll see the reversal in front of you. Jenny, now that's a bit of a trip around dialysis emergencies. Obviously, there's lots of stuff we didn't cover here. You know, this is only a 20 minute talk. You can only cover so much, but I think it does touch on some of the things that we see pretty often. We want to wrap it up with some take home points. Absolutely. First, on any dialysis patient, make sure to do a good assessment of their access site. If it's a fistula, assess for a thrill, for any warmth, induration, or erythema, and make sure they have distal sensation and perfusion. If it's a catheter, evaluate for any signs of a superficial infection, so warmth, erythema, or discharge. Second, bleeding is a big concern. If the patient is bleeding from their access, start with direct pressure to the bleeding site, then move on to topical thrombotic agents, and if needed, throw a figure eight stitch with a 5-0 proline on a non-cutting needle. Third, Peritoneal dialysis patients are at risk for bacterial peritonitis. In a peritoneal dialysis patient that appears infected, get that peritoneal fluid sample and start antibiotics. And then last, dialysis patients are susceptible to dialysis disequilibrium syndrome, which can present as altered mental status, focal neurodeficits, or even frank coma or seizures after dialysis. In these patients, make sure to consider a broad differential because they could be having any of the bad things that cause those symptoms. And while you're doing that, give them a solute load, such as an amp or two of D50, to see if that helps. I love it. This is great. And again, touching on some of the dialysis emergencies, but you know, we'll get back to this topic and hit the other ones. Well, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up on Wednesday and a journal update up on Thursday. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, follow us on Google+, and on Twitter, where our handle is at core underscore EM. And as always, send along your comments, go over to the iTunes page and give us a rating, and let us know what we're doing well and what you'd like to see us improve. Thanks, and see you all next week.